And we're back for another season of the Playsheet Podcast, the show where you come for the slap bass intro and stay for the football chat. And as always, I'm joined by my friend Joe. Hey there, Charles. So, Joe, brand new season for the podcast, brand new season for NFL, yet we still find ourselves probably talking about the same stuff to kick off the show as we did at the beginning of season one, and that is covid COVID. Yep, yeah, uh, no changes with COVID, so it's still the ghost on the horizon. Big news this week, the Atlanta Falcons are the first team to get a 100% vaccination rate. I think that's just amongst players. Uh, I'm not sure if they're including coaches in that stat, but still, uh, that's got to be down as a good achievement for that team to do that. There are teams that are lagging behind. I believe my Vikings are the worst team in the league in terms of vaccinations. I was going to say, Chess, from what you've seen in UK sports, certainly so far, and other sports we've seen around worlds, do you think vaccinations are going to make a difference in terms of how the season progresses? We know there's like draconian measures in place if you're the reason that a game gets cancelled, but will being fully vaccinated prevent games from being cancelled? Or do you think that that's still a inevitability regardless of the vaxxers? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, I think that the thing that might have the bigger impact is what the NFL's stance is on vaccination. Well, the league have been quite clear on how they're going to go about things. Basically, if it is an outbreak within your team and you don't have enough players to fill the team or you can't fill the team because you're down to first stringers, if you're the reason that the game can't go ahead you take a loss. You take a loss, it's not going to be postponed, and you get fined as well. I guess the point that I'm getting to, though, is will vaccinations actually stop this? Because we have seen in the UK, vaccinated people can still get COVID. You you probably won't get as ill. You, you may be asymptomatic, but you'll still have COVID. And so if people are testing positive for COVID, vaccine or not, it's still going to prevent them from playing the games. So will being vaccinated actually make a difference in terms of stopping games, or is this still going to happen regardless of the 100% rate that the Falcons have, for example? Yeah, I mean, you basically answered the question there in that the vaccination, it helps alleviate the symptoms. It makes the symptoms not as severe, but it certainly doesn't stop you contracting the virus. So, yeah, you know, teams with 100% vaccination could still see players miss out, even though they're not uh, showing symptoms, perhaps, but they'll test up positive in a test and they'll be made to sit out. And this is just it. And I don't want to sound like Cole Beasley here. I'm, I'm certainly not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch of the imagination. I guess if people are asymptomatic, it means you're not coughing and spluttering. You're perhaps less likely to spread things. But I think some teams could be in for a nasty shock this year when they have very high vaccination rates. And, you know, teams like the Falcons, teams that have a real good program in place there, they may still find that they're losing players and potentially not being able to play games because you'll still get it regardless of a vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. So just wanted to touch on that just for a bit of serendipity. Let's get it out of the way. That's it. COVID. <laughs> we'll get it out of the way. Tick, second year in a row. We've discussed it. Let's move on and talk football, shall we? Well, we'll talk football, perhaps. Let's talk Aaron Rodgers, because that's not necessary football chat, is it? <laughs> it's certainly not. It feels more like show business than football. Oh, that has been an absolute saga that I have not enjoyed tuning into this summer, I'll be honest. So, so as a Vikings fan, I've, you know, I've been watching with popcorn. I've been enjoying every minute <laughs> of it. Um, 
from the other side of the fence, it's it's not been pleasant, but a happy ending now. Yeah, I think so. I I mean, I would probably describe it as the the best case scenario given where we were at the beginning. It looked really, really tumultuous. It was it was very difficult to see how these two sides were going to come together. I think, you know, I discussed it in a video on our social and our website. I think if you're looking to play the blame game, there's blame that can be attributed to both sides. But I think where we've landed now kind of seems to work for, for both sides. You know, we've got Rodgers for two more years. Realistically, it's probably only going to be one and look to trade at the end of the year. But I think with a happy Aaron Rodgers coming back, you, you've got other things that are, that are involved in that. So, for example, uh, Love here, who we saw play a preseason game this week. There's now an incentive for Aaron Rodgers to help Love as much as possible, to take him under his wing and to try and, and give him as much advice and knowledge that he can. Because if Love develops over this season Green Bay are more likely to let Aaron Rodgers go as part of a trade at the end of the season whereas if we don't have a backup replacement we'll probably hang on to him for one more year and and just let that contract wind down yes and no I I take your point there but a team still has to be willing to take a punt on Aaron Rodgers at 38 years old and this is the point that I was going to come on to here because there are still a lot of different ways that this can play out. It could play out that Rodgers has an amazing season, a season similar to last year. He He's you know up there in the MVP conversation again. And Green Bay are faced with almost no choice but to keep him on for that extra year. He could have a mediocre season and then all bets are off. He could play really badly. I mean, he's going to be 38 years old. He, he Like father time could kind of catch up. He could get injured. He could have a down season. So with all of those kind of scenarios there... Where do you right now feel is the most likely outcome when we start talking in a year's time for the start of season three? I think he'll be traded at the end of this year. It just it seems to make the most sense, I think, for the future. Who would really take a punt on him, though, as a trade partner? Yeah, I know it's really early because we because because you don't know, but but you've got to have a team who's able to throw the, the kind of money that he'll be after, which is going to be mid thirties to forties in terms of pay for a thirty-eight year old quarterback who maybe has a year or two maximum on the clock. Denver, it depends how things work out. They've got a bit of a... Denver are always getting kind of bandied about here, but I kind of feel that if Denver were going to pull the trigger, I feel there's an argument that they would have done it by now. Because they could have pulled the trigger this offseason just gone, if they wanted to. Because I think that the Packers would have certainly have listened to real to realistic trades for Rodgers during this offseason. Nothing came from the Broncos. But everyone knows he... Sh- the perfect world, the perfect world was him going to the 49ers, ending up there. It didn't happen. It's probably never going to happen. It's, it's where he wanted to. Yeah, not now they've got Lance. Well, he's missed that boat twice. It's where he wanted to get drafted. He didn't get drafted there. Of course, the famous thing, Alex Smith got drafted there. So he's always had that chip on his shoulder because the 49ers didn't draft him. He thought that this was finally the reunion that he wanted. But the 49ers have mortgaged all of their future on Trey Lance right now. So it's the Trey Bay Area. There will always be a Bucks to come along and take an aging quarterback. There will be. There'll always be one team in the league that will take that punt. That's assuming that Rodgers plays well or at least plays to a decent standard. Yeah, for sure. If he if he drops off massively, then we're stuck with him. Hey, he might even decide to retire in the last season. I could see him retiring rather than being benched for the young upstart. For sure. Oh, for sure. I don't think his ego would take that. 
Yeah, and a little stat for you. It seemed unlikely at some point. You know I love a stat. Aaron Rodgers will be the first quarterback to play 17 seasons in Green Bay. Wow, okay, that's a great stat. When you look at the um, illustrious quarterbacks that have gone prior to him, Bart Starr and Brett Favre both only played 16 seasons. There you go. So the next thing I wanted to touch on, just because it's fun to wind you up about Aaron Rodgers a little bit, what is all this nonsense about Clay Matthews? Oh, it's infuriating. Like I, I, I know whilst this whole thing was going on, I was talking to you about he really, really kicked off about the team not listening to him and the players that he wanted to keep around. And he, but he got Randall Cobb. They yeah, brought they Randall brought Cobb Randall Cobb back. Cobb back. But you see, bringing Randall Cobb back, it was a move that the team, you know, arguably needed. We're for sure short on decent wide receivers. So Randall Cobb is certainly a passable wide receiver that's not a bad decision but some of the names he banded out there as like oh why why didn't we keep them they weren't treated right they went on to do terrible things where they got traded to it was nonsense and now we're talking clay matthews when i mean i'm sorry i look clay matthews was great there's no doubt about it but we've got zadaria smith Preston Smith, Rash and Gary, all playing really, really well for Green Bay last season. Why are you bringing Clay Matthews back? And they back? play on defense. I'm sorry to remind you, Rogers, but you're an offensive player. <laughs> yeah. Why are you getting involved in defense? I think that this whole escapade just actually it sways the narrative once again into the problems that the Green Bay organization have in dealing with Aaron Rodgers. He's a quarterback. He's on the offensive side of the ball. But defense has nothing to do with him. You can make a case for saying, you know, he should have the guys in front of him that he wants. He should have the people that he wants to throw the ball to. There's arguments for and against that in terms of quarterbacks having these kind of personal choices. But on the defense, that's nothing to do with you. You purely want Clay Matthews back because he's your mate. And you're making a fuss and starting to aggravate people. How do you think, like you say, some of those players on defense who have been playing very well over the last few years, like you say, Darius Smith, there's been a good young core in the middle of that Green Bay defense, and you've got a quarterback saying stuff like this. Yeah. I think it looks very poor on him. There's a lot of things where taking a rational step back, even as a Vikings fan, you can kind of forgive or understand at least about the motivations for Aaron Rodgers' actions. But I think this whole Clay Matthews escapade here, it's just, it really shines him on a bad light, I think. And it's worrying because Randall Cobb is in this clique as well. So he's he's basically kind of got his way where he's got himself, David Bakhtiari, Randall Cobb, and there's this little clique that's now forming with, I think, just... Devante Adams was getting a little bit shirty as well, wasn't he? He was... Yeah, yeah, well, he, he wants to be in the clique. So, like, yeah. so... <laughs> he wants to be part of the Mean Girls. Yeah, so Aaron Rodgers kind of is acting like Triple H, but this ain't pro wrestling, and good cunst ain't Vince. So it's just... I just don't really think that uh, his behaviour is in any way appropriate for a senior player, for a team leader. No, I I agree. But I think the one thing that I would say is I'm happy he's back for another season. I'm happy that he feels a bit happier for now. And I'm happy that I think, you know, in the preseason game that that happened against uh, the Texans, awful game, but it was good to see him talking to love and looking to take an interest there as well. So I think what was a disaster situation on draft day 
it has turned out not so awful for us for now. But yeah, let's see where we end up in a year's time. Yeah, and not to go on about the point as well, but the fact you said there on draft day, it shouldn't have been on draft day. The journalism. No, it shouldn't. That was uh, oh so bad. I mean, Schefter has a black mark against his name for a long time now after how he handled that because yeah, it, it didn't sure. have to be like that and he made it into a controversial situation. Right, so from one linebacker in Clay Matthews, there's another linebacker that you want to discuss, Joe. Yeah, so we're recording on a Tuesday. This goes out on a Thursday. But today, Tuesday, Darius Leonard got the bag. The contract that he got was a six-year contract with 52 million, 52.5 million of guaranteed money, a total value of 98.5 million. This is a long-term deal that will basically keep him in Indianapolis for all the good years of his career. Huge contract. I don't disagree with it. I think that Darius Leonard is a great player. He's probably the most important player on the Colts D. And with some of the more experienced Colts players like Costanzo who are leaving now, he's an absolute team leader. And I think that he's a vital piece of the Colts team. It's interesting that this resets the interior linebacker market. I'm saying interior linebacker because you have players like Khalil Mack who are technically linebackers, but they're also edge rushers and so the pay scale is different. For pure interior linebackers, this resets of the, the market, particularly in terms of guaranteed money. This is a whole 27, 28% above what Fred Warner was guaranteed recently. The interesting thing, though, is that there's very few linebackers who are probably coming up to that point in their contract where they may be taking advantage of this. Most linebackers who are well-paid right now are in the middle of long contracts. The only person I can see this really affecting, perhaps, is Devin White, who's an undrafted free agent all the way out in 2023. Until then, we may not actually see any more big linebacker contracts over the next couple of years. Yeah, and of course, the other thing that you're always dependent on is the situation of your team. You can go in asking for big money, but if your team doesn't have the cap space to pay it and there aren't other teams out there that need your position... It's, it's going to be difficult to leverage that to your advantage. That's right. And I think that interior linebacker is a position which is slightly maybe undervalued in the way that games are played these days. In a 4-3, you only have one interior linebacker and he's a kind of, it's that kind of hybrid role that you have now. In 3-4 defences, it's the outside linebackers who are getting all the glory, the kind of pass rushers, your Jadavian Clownies, your Khalil Max, those kind of guys. So being an interior linebacker in a 4-3 or a 3-4, the big paydays aren't so much there. I mean, Fred Warner, like we said, he took the bag. Bobby Wagner had a good contract, 40 million guaranteed. CJ Mosley, he also took a big contract with the Jets recently with 51 million guaranteed. But beyond those guys, the next guy with the most guaranteed money is Zach Cunningham down at 33 million. So you have a tier of basically four players, four interior linebackers who have basically got the bag. And the rest of the market is quite subdued. So, I mean, Joe, it's all very well and good actually having a contract, but do you still get paid if you end up in prison? Are you talking about uh, Deshaun Watson here? I am indeed. What an absolute mess. And I mean, the Houston's organisation as a whole was an absolute mess even before all this news kind of broke out. I mean, they had a really bad season, change of coaching staff. So many senior important players have left, have gone. You know, there's no one left on the defence, really. That's no disrespect to players who are there, but your big names like JJ Watt have gone. So the team was crying out for a rebuild. And then all of a sudden your best player, your franchise quarterback, has these legal issues. It's it's ugly. And to be honest, Charles, to be honest, as things stand right now, I cannot see Deshaun Watson playing football this year. Oh, definitely not. So 
initially it was 22 complaints against him which i think came from 10 plaintiffs and these were civil suits so basically he was getting sued which obviously is serious and it's similar to give a kind of example michael jackson never got done for criminal charges but he still got sued in civil lawsuits and he had to pay compensation for all the trouble he had which you know he may not have been a convicted felon but it's something that you carry around with you and it's very damaging and it's not a good look however a number of those women i believe eight of the plaintiffs have raised criminal charges against him and there is an ongoing criminal investigation with the houston police department and that's ongoing now so i'm not sure where they're going to get to with that whether they're going to charge him with anything it's a messy situation and i think we've always said on this show that we we don't like to accuse people of guilt until they're proven guilty with that said the locker room will be talking about there'll be, there'll be guys talking about it. he'll obviously have his friends he'll have his boys who've got his back but there'll also be the murmuring so we have voices and in the position you are as quarterback you need the authority you need to be the alpha you need, you need to be respected and having something as lewd and depraved as the accusations against him uh, it's very hard to come back from that you're absolutely right but i think even on top of that just look at how the nfl treated darius geis last year where they suspended him for the first six weeks of the season despite the fact that there had been no charges successfully held up so that was a preemptive move by the nfl and i have a feeling you'll probably get the same kind of treatment uh with deshaun well, I'm very surprised that he's not already on the commissioner's exempt list. I, I would have thought that would have already happened. I don't know why it hasn't happened. It feels like the bad old days of about five to six years ago where the NFL was just too slow in responding to allegations of domestic abuse, allegations of sexual abuse, and they'd be very slow and they got a lot of flack for it. So like you said, a couple of years back, there seemed to be a real kind of effort to get on top of things and get on the front foot and just put people on the commissioner's exempt list just as soon as the scandal kind of brewed its head. They haven't done that this time, and I'm really not sure why. But with that said, I still think he will end up on the commissioner's exempt list. I think so. Probably yeah. within the next, pro probably within the next fortnight. You know, prior to the season starting, and I can't see him coming off it for the rest of the year. Don't forget that Adrian Peterson was on the commissioner's exempt list for a whole year, basically missed the whole season. And although the kind of charges against him were serious, and it's hard to really compare, I'd say that. What Watson is facing here is a lot more complex and a lot more potentially damaging. So where do you think he's ending up on the NFL 100, Joe? <laughs> well, considering how ridiculous the NFL 100 has been so far, it could be anywhere. Now, we know that aside from preseason, it is a kind of quiet time of year right now. We've had all the fun and games of the off-season acquisitions and trades and drafting and free agency. That's kind of come and gone. So to fill in the gap, the NFL does the NFL 100, where it counts down the alleged 100 best players in the league every season. I'm an absolute stickler for Game Pass. I love watching it. I try to eat up as much kind of output from an actual league as possible. The NFL 100 vote is an absolute joke. And I will tell you why. Corey Davis is allegedly, according to this, the 91st best player in the league. Not the 91st best wide receiver, not the 91st best defensive player, the 91st best player in the league. And I, I can't really get my head around that, Charles. Uh, can you give more kind of insight towards that? Well, for those who don't know, Joe, how is the NFL 100 determined? It's voted on by the players. So, I mean, either Corey Davis is going around handing out wedges to people, campaigning on bloody election day, 
there's no other explanation for it. Or he's just a really nice guy. What has Corey Davis got on the league? Like, I kind of thought as well, like, maybe he went to, like, a college where there's a whole load of people in the league from that college, and he was, like, buddies with him at college. But he went to Western Michigan, which, you know, there's players in the league from Western Michigan, but it's not like he's got a boy in every team. So I just don't get this man. Do you think he's he's the league's fixer? Do you think everyone comes to <laughs> comes to Corey Davis with his problems? He goes, don't worry, I'll sort this, but you owe me. When NFL 100 comes around... <laughs> he's like the Winston Wolf of the National Football League. Yeah. Yeah, and he's finally cashed in all those chips. Amazing. Yeah, well, uh, I think they're up to about 60 on the uh, countdown now, but for me personally, the NFL 100 has zero credibility. Perfect segue. Talking about zero credibility, the NFL's new taunting rule. Should we have a little bit of a discussion around that? Right. I'm going to just come out with what my view on this is. I think it's a mistake. And I'll tell you why. Based on one piece of taunting, one of the highlights of Super Bowl was when Tyreek Hill got taunted by Anton Winfield Jr. And I think that... It was amazing. It was amazing. Every neutral loved that. And... Had that actually happened now, I think he did He did actually get penalised for taunting during that game. But that would definitely be a taunting penalty now. But that was great taunting. And I don't know why you'd want to take that away because it's news, it's headlines, it's storylines, it's, it's an extra edge. And I think that the National Football League is making a mistake in doing this. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a competition. Everyone gets fired up. And, you know, the position of the NFL is that they're trying to protect players and by allowing taunting in the game, it puts players in situations where fights can break out and things like that. But, I mean, come on. That's what you send people off for if that breaks out. But the rules as they stand, I mean, some of the things that you're not allowed to do, there's no finger wagging. There's no standing in a spot and staring someone out. People are going to get blown up religiously if they enforce this as fiercely as they did against the Colts in preseason. American football is a gladiatorial sport. And everyone wants to see the gladiators taking it all out there. And I think if you take this part of a game away, it's going to take the edge off. All fans like seeing their players do something good and celebrating it. And sometimes that celebration becomes a taunt. I think it's just a stupid move. The only time I think I've ever seen a taunt where I've been like, hey, it's not really on, was the kind of ones that like Vontae's Burfick used to do when he used to like illegally tackle someone in the back, break their spleen and then stand over them. Like it just won Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Take Vontae's perfect out of it. Take the dirty hits out of it and his taunting after like the dirty hits. Taunting's great and it's a great part of a game. And I can see this rule being reversed in a year or two's time. Yeah, I, th- I think there's two things to call out. I mean, the, the first thing is they're now making it so that if you get two taunting offences in the same game, you're automatically ejected. Are they really? Yeah. And I think that is a dangerous precedent to set. So you can't take someone's chain, taunt, then take his chain again and taunt? No two chains. No two chains. No two chains. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for me, what I'm hoping is that it's a little bit like the roughing the passer rule that was introduced a few years back where they enforced it with like a religious zealot in the preseason to the point where if anyone breathed on the quarterback they were getting blown up but then once the season kicked off properly 
everyone kind of eased off it a bit. And I wonder if the, the taunting is going to be the same, where they're really going to make a point of it in preseason just to better into players, just to get them thinking twice about it. And then come the actual season, they'll chill out a bit. That's a nice link back to uh, Clay Matthews as well, because it was Clay Matthews who famously fell on the wrong side of that quarterback hit rule. It was, well, wasn't I think it? he hit yeah. Kirk Cousins. And... and even Vikings fans were like, there's nothing wrong with that. And Clay Matthews got blown up for it. And that, I think, was the start of people saying this new rule's ridiculous. We have to ease off on this. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But it's it's a very easy one to blow up on. It, if someone taunts, if someone does one of these things, it's just very, very easy to blow the whistle. And equally, there's no real argument for kind of doing it if you do it. it, it it's you can't really mitigate it. Yeah, uh, but then I wonder if it starts becoming a little bit like yellow cards and red cards in Premier League football, for example, where once somebody's fouled once, you know, once somebody's taunted once, the second time they do it, are you a bit more lenient because you're like, well, that technically I would give you a flag for that, but do I want to send you off over it? And then it starts bringing into play like all these questionable, subjective decisions that, will not be consistent from official to official and team to team. And Manchester is for consistency because when does a celebration become a taunt? Which is which? I know that there's all these guidelines you mentioned, like finger wagging, but you could do none of that stuff and it could still pretty much be a taunt. Yeah. So all it's got to take is, you know, an important game for an official to basically get one of these calls wrong and the whole rule is, just becomes a joke. I don't think it's a rule that needed changing really. Yeah, agreed. I think it's a bit of a potentially token gesture from the NFL to try and calm games down, to try and take it, maybe some of the fights and some of the aggravation out of the game. But you're never going to eradicate that because people are fired up. They're competitors and they're going out there to beat the other team. You can take taunts away, but people are still going to get at each other because that is the nature of the sport. Would you say that kneeling is taunting, Jazz? Yeah, well, absolutely spot on. I would not, but there's a way that you could kneel that would certainly get someone, yeah, boiled up. Well, yeah, it it wouldn't be the way that Tebow kneels. Not that he'll be kneeling anytime soon. Oh, no. Do you know know what the worst thing is when I heard the news that the, the Jags had cut him? Was I just thought, imagine the amount of people that have bought a Tebow jersey. And he's worn it for one preseason game where he clumsily headbutted his own teammate. I think it was the biggest selling jersey on the NFL store for a good couple of weeks, Just wasn't it? Imagine. And the thing is, because they there are some guarantees around buying jerseys before the season start, but I think that's only if a player gets traded or retires. There's no right. guarantee around around player cuts, so nobody's getting their money back for those jerseys. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Like, I mean, like, the jerseys are a nice colour. I'll give them that. But that's a silly jersey to get. But do you know why he got cut, Charles? Did you see the game? Well, he sort of half-heartedly tried to do a block and ended up headbutting his own player in the chest, right? Twice. Twice. <laughs> and this is a lesson to all tight ends, all running backs, even wide receivers as well. You're not making an NFL roster if you can't block. And it doesn't matter how well you can catch, how well you can run the ball, how well you can even throw the ball if you're Tebow. If you can't block... You're not going to play. Yeah, absolutely. 
So talking of Tebow's performance in the preseason, Joe, I know you've been religiously staying up and watching all the preseason games. So uh, for... I'm a very sad man. <laughs> so for those of us that maybe don't have access to Game Pass or who haven't been staying up all hours and watching all the different teams, do you want to give us a, a little bit of a kind of your opinion on, on some of the bigger things that have come out of the first round of preseason games? I'm just going to hit this really, really quickly because it's preseason. It doesn't mean anything really. The only thing you can do in preseason is play bad enough to get yourself cut. As long as you're playing to a decent standard, it doesn't matter how well or how good you look because it's preseason. Just don't play really, really bad. So just to touch on a few players that people are interested in. Trevor Lawrence obviously got strip sacked in his very first snap in the NFL. Welcome to the NFL. Aside from that, he looked okay. I think the more interesting thing from that game was the connection that he had with Marvin Jones Jr. Marvin Jones Jr. obviously coming over to the Jaguars from the Lions. They seem to have a little bit of chemistry there. So we'll see how that goes in the next games and see if we see more connections there. But that's one to watch out for. With the other rookie quarterbacks we have, Mac Jones. He was the first one out on Thursday night for the New England Patriots against the Washington football team. I thought he looked really assured. I think his passer completion percentage was quite high. Didn't have any touchdowns, didn't have any scoring drives. That's the negative from it. But he was making the throws. He looked comfortable. And I mean, there's always hyperbole. For those of you who have been watching the preseason games, every time a rookie quarterback ties his shoelace, the commentators make out that it's the best tying of a shoelace I've ever seen in their lives. So it's almost hard to watch with a sound on. But... Mac Jones looked like he belonged there. He looked comfortable. He had time. He was making the right decisions. I was quite impressed with how Mac Jones played. Would have been nice to see a scoring drive, like I said. Let's see what happens in game two. Just a quick question, Joe. If he continues playing like this, do you think there's a chance he could start week one? Yes, especially with how badly Cam Newton played. He turned the ball over in the first drive. So you had Cam Newton doing that. I mean, you had Mac Jones coming on and looking like the veteran. It's obviously not a certainty and Belichick has held his cards quite tightly to his chest in terms of how he viewed Mac Jones' performance. He said there's a lot for him to prove on, as you expect him to say. But overall, if we see more of the same from the next game, next game or two, then yeah, I, I can see Mac Jones being the starter in week one. It's not a certainty by any means at all, but it's definitely not out of the equation. Trey Lance, on the other hand, now Trey Lance is someone who I think for everyone who watched Draft Night, he came across really well. He seems to be a really, really likable guy. And the 49ers, aside from how much they like him, have gone all in on him in terms of the number of draft picks they've given up for him in the future. He had one 80-yard touchdown score. But I mean, the work was done by the wide receiver. It was it was a decent throw, but there was an element of blown coverage to it as well. I don't think you can read too much into that. Aside from that, I think he was something like 5 of 15 or 6 of 16 passes. So his accuracy wasn't great. He had that one scoring drive. I think Trey Lance has got stuff to improve on. Wasn't terrible by any means, but I think that his numbers and stats are definitely padded by that one play, which was nice, but nothing special. Justin Fields. Justin Fields, the Bear fans seem to be going crazy about him, but I guess you would do if you're a Bears fan and you haven't really had a decent quarterback in town for a long, long time. Looked assured, scoring drive, but again, I don't think he looked as comfortable or was making the right decisions and throws that Mac Jones was. Oh, and Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson looked pretty good as well. Again, I, 
I'll be honest, I didn't see all of his game because I was flicking between all of them. But from what I saw of Zach Wilson, he didn't seem to do anything wrong. He was getting a lot of flack in the pre-match kind of camp talk that he didn't look too great. He was missing on throws. that He just wasn't really getting the system. But from what we saw in the Jets game against the Giants, uh, he certainly didn't look too bad. So a bit of a mixed bag from our new quarterbacks, as you'd expect so far. But it's preseason. It's preseason. It's too early to tell anything. I mean, just moving on from the quarterbacks, just real quickly, just a couple of players that I want to draw out. Uh, Patrick Sertain, second, first cornerback off the board in this year's draft, had a pick six against the Vikings and was breaking up passes. Patrick Sertain looked the real deal. He seems to be a kind of alpha lockdown corner. And the start that he's made so far was pretty impressive. And then finally, the last player that I just want to touch on, um, just because it's the Vikings, if I can draw one positive from the Vikings game, AJ Rose running back. But it's a running back in preseason. It means nothing. We all remember how Christian Wade did in the preseason last year. And I think he couldn't play last year anyway because of the international pathways scheme, the way that it was set up. They weren't actually allowed to play those pathways players. But the preseason that he had was incredible. It seemed that every single preseason game, he was busting out 60-yard TD runs left, right, and center. And where did it get him? So running backs playing well in preseason, I don't know what third or fourth stringers have to do to kind of make the team, but it seems to mean nothing how well they play or don't play. Yeah, and I think it's something you touched on as well, you know, with it being preseason. Teams line up very differently. You can have some teams that are really trying to test out what their first team's looking like and they play a few more of those veteran players. And then you've got other teams that just put out your third string team. And so players going off, players emerging that are a bit of a surprise, always very hard to judge uh, comparatively when teams are fielding such different offences and defences in preseason. I agree, and this is the thing as well. The Vikings got thrashed by the Broncos in 33-6. The Vikings were playing a third-string team. They had none of their starters out. There was no Cousins, there was no Cook, there was no Jefferson, there was no Phelan. There was basically none of the starting offensive line. With that said, though, the only thing to kind of take from it, though, is that the Vikings were still playing with quite a bad attitude. You've got these players who you think this is their chance, they should be doing everything right, and those third-stringers just weren't doing things right. That would be, I guess, a warning sign or a negative that you can still take from a game, regardless of what plays are out there. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this week's episode. It's an absolute joy to be back, and it is a joy, even though it's pre-season third stringers, it's just good to see some football again, isn't it? It's so good. It's so good. It's not so good waking up on a Friday morning having three hours of sleep because you watched a preseason game with the Patriots you don't care about, but who am I to mind? I mean, that's real commitment, Joe. Hats off to you. But yeah, we'll be back next week with more updates and a little bit more analysis on the teams and how they're shaping up and the season to come. It's been a pleasure, Charles.